Right, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You listen to myself, Albert, and as always, I am joined by my brother Barney. How are you, Barney? How are you doing? I'm, I'm good, man. It's a big week. Big week. It's been a, yeah, hasn't disappointed at all. It has not disappointed at all. Obviously, we've got an absolutely massive game coming up to discuss Porto versus Sporting, which we'll get to uh, very shortly. Also, Barney, the Champions League and the Europa League are back this week. It feels like a long time since we've had uh, a bit of European action to talk about. Yeah, it's been ages, man. And there's some some good ties that I think, um, obviously, Sporting are playing tonight, aren't they? So I can't have it on on, on my computer because I'll get too distracted. <laughs> <but I think. laughs> so this is the difference between me and Barney, just to give you a glimpse behind the scenes. It's 7.30 on a Tuesday when me and Barney record every week. Obviously, Sporting about to play Man City in the Champions League. I've got the game on uh, on a little monitor. Barney can't have it on. So yeah, I'll be getting the live updates after to let you know how it gets on. But obviously, we can't cover that game, of course, uh, on this week's show. By the time you listen to this, the game will already have happened. Um, we were sporting all the very best. But there is a massive uh, week coming up as three Portuguese clubs will be playing in Europe. Obviously, Sporting, as we mentioned, a very, very tough task against Manchester City. But I think one thing that we can be sure of, Barney, is that Amarim's side will, you know, go out, fight for the team, fight for the badge, uh, fight for the fans and and give a good account of themselves on the biggest stage, you know? I think that's what Amarim does, isn't he? I think his teams will always give a, a good account of themselves. That's a really interesting one. We'll have to see what happens tonight. I think uh, Benfica, yeah, that could be the, the, the toughest fixture, I think, for the remaining Portuguese teams in Europe. It's definitely not one to be overlooked, is it? City, obviously, the biggest name uh, that Portuguese clubs are coming up against. But, you know, we've seen how good Ajax have been in recent years. They're kind of ruthlessly uh, efficient. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, as you mentioned, also the Europa League is back. We've got Porto versus Lazio. That looks like a very tasty tie. Porto obviously gutted not to be arguably where they belong, you know, in the Champions League. But that fixture coming up against a good Lazio side, they will not be a walkover. They will have to work very hard if they want to progress in that game. But I think absolutely they have it in them to not only win that game, but to go further in this competition. I'm hoping they take it seriously, the Europa League Porto. I think they, I hope they, they try and go far. Of course, it's Braga Sharif as well. Another really interesting tie, actually. I think that could be quite a... They have, Braga have to see it as an opportunity, but it's also don't underestimate Sharif. I said it on the show when we talked about the, the draw that we had, Barney, that Sharif and the team that beat Real Madrid in the Bernabeu. So, you know, that just shows you what that team's capable of. But obviously, you know, Braga, I think, do go into that game as favourites. And as you said, they have to go into it positively and and see that as an opportunity uh, to progress to the next round and have a little European run this season. I think that would be uh, that'd be good for Braga. Well, look, I think we should get stuck in, Barney, straight away uh, to the main topic that we will be discussing today. That is, of course, last Friday's game between Porto and Sporting, a game many people were dubbing a title decider before it had already kicked before it had even kicked off. Uh, we're rightfully going to be dedicating a large chunk of our time today to that game, as there were so many points, both positive and negative. So strap yourselves in, because it could be a long one. But, Barney, let's start, as we always like to do, before we go anywhere else in this conversation, with the game of football itself. We all knew what was at stake uh, in this game. A win for Porto would have given them a nine-point lead and all but giving them the title. 
uh, and a win for Sporting would have reduced Porto's lead at the top of the table, which is just three points and really thrown open the title race. In the end, we got neither of those results as the game ended in a 2-2 draw. Sporting initially raced into a 2-0 lead before a goal back in the first half and an equaliser against 10 men in the second half. So Porto get back on level terms. A draw wasn't the result that anyone was talking about before the game, Barney. But even the two teams sharing a point could still have a big impact on the title race. Yeah, I think Porto obviously be coming from behind would be the most happiest with this result. I mean, just to start off there, but the, I thought the quality and the, and the tactics shown by both managers in this game, probably the best I've seen watching uh, this league. I couldn't tell if um, Sporting was sort of inviting on the pressure at the very beginning so they could try and find space in behind because, you know, Porto were pressing them so high. They, they got caught out a few times and Porto obviously, I thought, looked like the stronger team in that moment. But then it's almost on the break, Sporting got their goal. And then that second, which was just, it's got to be goal of the season, hasn't it? It was just an unbelievable move from from Sporting. Incredible to watch. And, and yeah, that's what got me thinking, you know, whether the Sporting were inviting on the press from Porto. Because, yeah, it was hairy for Sporting in that first five, ten minutes. It was such an interesting dynamic to that first half, wasn't it, Bonnie? Because Porto had two good goal-scoring opportunities inside the first three minutes, which is quite incredible. Taremi's shot and then Pepe popping up at the back post with a little side-footed finish. Definitely a centre-back's finish in the end because it ended up wide. But um, it was a really fascinating start into the game. But I have to say, the rest of that first half, I was so impressed with Sporting. I think I thought they just flew out of the blocks for the rest of that half. It was the best football that I think I've seen them play in the last two seasons, possibly. You know, Porto, you have to say, have been stronger than them this season overall. Not by a lot, but they have been slightly stronger. And I think Sporting made them look amateur in comparison in that first half. You know, the first goal, as you say, very good goal. I think Porto taken a little bit by surprise. Uh, The defence perhaps napping a little bit, a great little cross from from Mateus Reis. And then big game player Paulinho pops up with... Uh, an uncontested header in the end. But as you say, that second goal was just beautiful to watch. One of the best goals you will see this season in this league or any league. And do you know what, Barney? I will even forgive Matthias Reese for a dreadful cross in a key moment because it ended up with Sarabia making that beautiful cutback and made the whole move look even better. Well, I know we, I know we've we've been praising Mateus Reese a lot, uh, as so many people have. But like, I thought in this game he was incredible, and you know he was such a threat at left wing back, aggressive as well, and and good in defending. And then when he had to be uh, changed position and move into centre back, he still absolutely delivered. I think he was um, brilliant. But Nuno Santos for me, Albert was one of my favourite players in this game because well, one, I think he's really good in in the big game. I thought potentially with a uh, Pedro Gonzalez being out, I thought. Maybe Edwards might have been in a shout to start, you know, if I'm wanted to try something different. But he's stuck with Nuno Santos, who has delivered this season. And I just think he arrived at Sporting the same time Amron did that a couple of summers ago, where from Rio Ave at the age of 25. You know, not a, a groundbreaking signing by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a really smart signing. He's, he's repaid Amron's faith in him with, like, like in this game, some, some top performances. Completely agree. I think uh, he's earned the right to be ahead of Edwards in the pecking order at the moment. You know, obviously, Edwards is the new kid on the block. We expect him to make more of an impact as the season goes on. But Nuno Santos has been phenomenal all season. He's adapted to a position change as well, playing at left wing back a lot of the time, uh, which he's filled in so well. But as you say, he was a real attacking threat in this game, playing in that more traditional front three spot that we've seen him play in the past. And yeah, phenomenal performance from him, phenomenal performance from Reese, a phenomenal performance from many of, uh, of Sporting's players. And I think... The first half definitely is a performance 
they can be proud of. Uh, to touch on Porto then, Barney, I think they did do very well to get back into the game because they were seriously on the back foot in that first half. But that goal before half time was vital, I think, to keep them alive in the game. I think if they go into half time 2 0 down, it's a very different second half. Uh, and of course, it came from the star boy, Fabio Vieira. I have to say, I was very pressed once again with Vieira in the game, but perhaps in a slightly different way than normal, I think. Actually, he don't think he had the uh, influential game that he's had before. He was just a little bit off his game a touch, you know, in terms of missing a few chances and not quite making a few passes happen. But I think we saw a different side to him mentally in this game where I think he really took on some responsibility, some leadership in the game. You know, even when things weren't going perfectly for him or for any Porto player, I think he took on the responsibility to try and keep making things happen, to keep attempting chances. And I wasn't surprised in the end that that first half goal came from him. And a finish from outside the box on his weaker foot is a very commendable finish. Yeah, and he was getting knocked around a bit as well. And it was he was uh he was used really well by Conscious Hell because I think uh, they were Conscious Hell did tweak things quite a bit. You know, to, we'd see Taremi pop up on the left or, or occasionally as well as Fabio Vera, but then ultimately, you know, you know Fabio Vera is best in, in that middle. Yeah, that's where his goal came from. It, it was a really good finish. Obviously, a lot of things changed after that point, but I do think about how important that was for Porto to go in at halftime with that that goal clawed back. And of course, the second goal as well coming from a Fabio Vieira assist, Barney. And what an assist it was as well, because I think for that second goal, the thing is Fabio Vieira is really not in a great position. He's kind of stuck right out on the left wing and he swings in a ball that, you know, most people wouldn't be able to put in with as much quality as he did. He puts it right where Medi Taremi needs it. And credit to Taremi because it's a phenomenal header. He's still got an awful lot of work to do once that ball comes in to get it uh, on target. Uh, and of course, Barney, I think the second goal really brings us on to the first piece of controversy, perhaps, that we need to discuss, because I feel like that second goal came uh, after a sustained period of possession that Porto were really able to have after Sebastian Quattas was sent off uh, for sporting. And I think, you know, for me, Barney, to say that the sending off was controversial, I think, is an understatement. I think it was a, a blatant mistake. I think Quattas, you know, sent off, obviously, for two yellow card offences. The second yellow card is for pulling down Evan Ilson, who is running through on goal. I think, fair enough, it's a bit soft, but but fair enough. But that first yellow card, Barney, I think uh, it was given to him for a challenge, which upon looking at the replay, it is very obvious that it's more of a foul on Coates himself after, I, I, I believe it's Taremi stamps on his ankle. And obviously there's no VAR for yellow card offences. So there's no way to pick that up. And to be totally honest, I don't really mind so much the referee making a mistake like that in a kind of 50-50 challenge. He's only human after all, looking uh, with the naked eye. But the issue that I had for me, Barney, was a much more overarching issue. Uh, and I'm sure you'd agree that Joao Pinheiro, the referee, the guy was handing out cards for fun. You know, he he might have been able to keep a lid on the game more had he not started way too early for me dishing out the cards. I think he would have known that this was going to be a fiery game. Maybe if he'd allowed a few challenges, uh, let them go early doors, then maybe the game would have been a little bit uh, easier to control. But just for me, Barney, because there were so many cards flying around early doors, I think the game was destined to descend into chaos in the way that he did. You know, Coates ends up being sent off and let's face it, he only really deserved to have one card at that point. And I think uh, it would be daft to say that the game wouldn't have been very different if Sporting had had 11 men on the pitch instead of 10. One thing I've always disliked about modern football is the way referees are almost um, recognisable as managers. They're given an almost 
celebrity like status and i think here in england we've you know we have your mike deans of the world you can be watching match of the day or whatever and and pundits are talking about him and i think since we've started covering uh the portuguese league i've noticed how many times you will see uh news stories about which referees are covering which game in the build-up to this game you know bt sport commentary were talking about how jalpinero is is the best referee in the league and <laughs> and that, that, that's sort of, to be fair to me that's sort of backed up by how he's refereed the most games in the league this season and is also refereed internationally as well. But I think I think it puts a pressure on a referee and perhaps gets them thinking too much about things. And the key point I think you alluded to is that it was literally the first minute Mateus Reese clattered into Fabio Vieira right in front of the Porto bench. And he probably had it in his head that you need to stamp his authority on this game. And you can imagine so many journalists, so many commentators before this game saying the exact same thing. You know, he's going to have to stamp stamp his authority onto this game. Mm, yeah. So he books Reese, and he also books a Porto uh, coach for protesting too much as well. And and like you said, here we are. This sets the tone because almost every foul after that, that's the benchmark. You have to book someone, and and, yeah. and uh, which is why the cards came up. I know. I just don't like it that a referee can have so much influence because. We've talked about this exciting game, great tactics, great goals, and still underlying all of this was a referee who just let things slip out of his hands and couldn't clasp it back. Absolutely. The guy had no control over the game, and that and that was a real shame because, you know, to be fair, it was going to be a tough game to manage. It would be a tough game to manage for any referee in the world, but, you know, there are, of course, referees out there who would have been capable of managing the situation. Joao Pinheiro was not one of them, and I think it's fair to say that his influence on the game had a poor influence uh, on the actual match. Oh, I think I've wanted to sort of address in this podcast for a while now is is the refereeing standards in, in Portugal in this league. And I think this game is a, a good example because, you know, you just mentioned um, a situation of Kratos who got two yellows and sent off with with one clearly not being a, a yellow card. It's similar to what we saw a couple of weeks ago with Lincoln and Corazon for Santa Clara as well. And, and it's something that I've seen consistently, you know, these poor decisions, be it uh, deciding GVR, et cetera, et cetera. But interesting, I've, I've had a little, done a bit of research and we saw a referee dish out so many yellow cards and red cards in this game. Jao Pinheiro is actually one of the more lenient referees in this league. <laughs> um, he has one of the lowest fouls per tackle stats, which is um, 0.94. So for every tackle, Jao Pinheiro is dishing out 0.94 fouls. He's also got one of the lowest fouls per game average too, which is 29.5 fouls per game. But if we look at the, the league as a whole and uh, all the different referees who have refereed so far this season, uh, the average fouls in Portugal per game is 30.62 fouls per game. Now, if we compare that to other top leagues in, in Europe, England is 10 less with 20.56. Spain is 26.87. Germany, 23.68. France, 23.2. So what we're seeing is way too many stoppages and too much involvement from the referees in games. I mean, booking the coaches is a thing we've sort of found very amusing and, and we've joked about several times, but... Surely this has to stop. It's just such a time-wasting thing. The a statistic came out recently, didn't it, um, about game time in the top 13 leagues in the world. And, and, and Portugal was the lowest for the minutes that the ball is in pay per 90. You know, this game lasted for 105 minutes and the ball was in play for just 43 of them. That's 43% of the game. The second half, the ball was in play for just 21 minutes. But, like, this was potentially the title decider for... A, a really fantastic season and as good as some of the football was it just highlighted that this this issue in Portugal of the refereeing standards and you know how that affects the game time that the, the ball's actually in play yeah of course it's an issue that an awful lot of people 
have been talking about. And as you say, that I've seen a few times now that stat banded about about Portugal having the lowest consistent playing time of of, of any of the leagues in Europe. It's a really damning statistic. And I think a lot of work needs to be done to rectify that. Because, you know, in a game like this with so much incredible football in the show, imagine if we were watching that with a much higher percentage of effective playing time. You know, this product would be an incredible televised product that you could sell to anywhere in the world. The quality of football that's on the show, if you can harness that for much longer during the game, it's a it's an incredible prospect. Of course, Barney, you know, given the nature of the game then and, and all the tension that had been building up uh, at the final whistle, we then saw, of course, those scenes which are now infamous, uh, something of a mass brawl which took place uh, involving not just players uh, from each team, but also staff and not just coaching staff as well, but also seemingly stadium staff and stewards. Quite incredible scenes. The whole thing uh, was very physical, not so much punches being thrown, but a lot of pushing and shoving, a lot of people grabbing each other, a few people ending up on the floor. And the result was, of course, players being sent off after the final whistle was blown. Those players were Marchesin and Pepe for Porto. Uh, and for Sporting, it was Palinha and Bruno Tabata. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will have different viewpoints on the situation Barney I'm sure a lot of people enjoyed it you know and I don't think it's a crime if you have a bit of a laugh at this kind of situation I know I have done in the past but I'm sure there are a lot of people also like myself who will have been pretty disappointed to see such an incredible game end in this way and I think and what I do worry about is what this does for the reputation of Portuguese football abroad and to use the example Barney of the situation in the UK that's where we are BT Sport uh, which is the UK's biggest sport network They've started picking up a few Premier League games this season. They do one show a week uh, and they have two commentators providing analysis. You know, they obviously see the potential of this product. And it's interesting that this was the only game of the season where they've actually had a 15-minute build-up to the game before it started. You know, it showed that they knew that this was going to be a big game. They knew this was important for the season and they gave it more attention as a result. So, you know, the eyes of the world are really on this game. And one thing that's really, really telling, Barney, is that after the match finish, BT Sport uploaded two videos to their YouTube channel. One, a six-minute highlight package of the game, and two, a five-minute video showing the post-game carnage, unedited, without interruption, in full. Now, the highlights package, Barney, has 126,000 views on YouTube, but the video of the fight after the game has 1.3 million views with an additional 600,000 views on Twitter. That is what the world is seeing as a result of this game, not the highlights of a fantastic competitive game of football that, you know, we love watching so much, not the video which contains one of the best goals that you're going to see in any league this season, not the video where the English commentators are talking about some of these young players on the pitch being some of the best young players in Europe, but the video where the whole game just descends into total embarrassment. That's the one that everybody's seeing. And that was really what the world took home. Uh, from this game I find it very interesting Abba, because is it giving the people what they want because uh, <laughs> you know people might be more interested in this league now seeing the the fiery atmosphere I, I completely agree with you though I think it does it is a slight shame but I was listening to the the Portugal corner and they made the interesting point you know that this you obviously have the Lisbon derby which is always very very heated but this derby between Porto and Sporting perhaps needed a little bit of a a spark because it was also very exciting as a, as a, as a viewer <laughs> but I know I flip flops a lot here, but I I think ultimately I I agree with you. I think it 
it's not the right image. It's it is it was quite laughable, particularly about the the vast amounts of people that are involved. I think fair play when there's it's, it's players v players, but when coaching stuff like random people just popping up on the pitch, and, and I think that that's the main thing, isn't it? it? Just there's just too many people on the pitch, and you don't really understand what's going on. It just looks so messy. I think you're you're perfectly fine to you know flip flop between on the one hand wanting to laugh and on the one hand wanting to be annoyed. But like I say, I don't think there's anything wrong with laughing at the scenes that we saw on the TV because there is a big funny side to it. But I think the thing that I thought about this game was that it was just such a perfect microcosm of the Premier League as a whole, right? There was so much great stuff on the show, you know, incredible football. It was a pulsating end-to-end game. It was a great stadium atmosphere as well, full of passionate fans, exciting young players. You know, some of these young players are going to go on to light up European football for years to come. As you mentioned earlier, Barney, two great managers going head-to-head to try and outwit each other. But too often, what we see is that all that good stuff is just overshadowed by the levels of incompetence, amateurism, unprofessionalism that just holds the league back so much. You know, And there are a lot of people to blame for that. Of course, you can point fingers at the referee, which we have done, and I think he was clearly incapable of managing a game of this magnitude and the game therefore suffered as a result. I think you can blame the players as well, Barney, who I, I personally think that their behaviour was quite frankly disgraceful. You know, this is players that should know that the way they acted during this game and the way that some of them have reacted other instances this season, that that is not the way that you should be acting as a professional athlete. Uh, And of course, you can say that, you know, the only reason that the players feel like they can act in the way that they do is because why should they act professionally in a league which has no professionalism itself, you know, in a league which allows such farces as, Benfica versus BSAT to go ahead with nine players on the pitch. You know, it's a really sad state of affairs at times. And it is a real crying scene because, as we said, so much incredible talent on show in this league. It deserves to be shown to the world in a way that presents it in a positive professional light. But, you know, it's currently under a cloud of amateurism, uh, very sadly. Let's look at the aftermath of the game. The dust has settled. Like, which teams come out better? I personally think poor to have because the point was enough during the game I thought this is the best I've seen both these teams play but now I feel like there's an underlying feeling now where I think these teams have both been disrupted and uh, and it will be very interesting to see if in fantastic forms from both these teams I, I wonder if they could get a little rocky now well it's an interesting point and I think you're totally right to say that Porto will be the much happier team with this result what I found really interesting finally was that at the end of the game Sergio Constancao seemed to be the one most disappointed that the ref blew the whistle before Porto had a chance to win. Obviously, I understand a winner pretty much kills the league for the season. But equally, I think a draw is so valuable to Porto. You know, you know, it's not just about putting a point on the board. You know, that's not what this result is about. What the result is about is taking away an opportunity for Sporting to make up points on Porto. That's what it's all about. And, and Porto successfully did that because now, you know, Sporting are hoping that Porto drop points and rather than having that opportunity in their own hands where they can take points off off Porto. They're now hoping that Porto will drop points against, you know, let's face it, the likes of Gil Vicente, Braga, those teams kind of in the top five or six. So that's obviously going to be much more, uh, much more unlikely. But it does keep Sporting alive. They are only six points behind. Stranger things have happened. Uh, And as you say, I think, you know, whereas before we were seeing Porto as this kind of unbeatable, uh, infallible team I think with Luis Diaz gone and you know perhaps a little bit of unrest and a few players missing you know there's the possibility that this could all uh, change in the next few weeks so 
in many ways, I think this result is an interesting one for the neutral because it definitely does keep the uh, title alive, at least for now. All right, well, it's important not to forget that there were, in fact, plenty of other Primera Liga fixtures uh, this weekend outside of that Porto versus Sporting clash. And one of those games was, of course, Benfica uh, versus Santa Clara. Benfica came off the back of a very positive 3-1 win over Tondela last week, where I think they looked like a lot more relaxed, comfortable team than they have done in recent times. I'm sure they were keen to keep that form going against Santa Clara, who after recent good form themselves, Barney, I think, would have been exactly the sort of scene to come to Benfica and cause an upset a few weeks ago. Uh, and it looked like that might be on the cards. Of course, Mohamed Mahabi, the Iranian winger, put Santa Clara 1-0 up, but two quick goals from Darwin Nunes turned it all around and gave Benfica another much-needed win. I have to say, Barney, I did feel a little bit for Santa Clara in the end. I think they did really well to go 1-0 up. Uh, I think they probably felt a little bit hard done by uh, particularly with that penalty, which I think it's a, it is a fair penalty, but it's just a kind of more of a fall from uh, Villanueva than anything that catches Rafa. Uh, and obviously, you know, then the game changes and, and they, they walk away with nothing. And I think they'll probably be a little bit disappointed with that. I know. And they were obviously missing um, big players like the suspended cries and Lincoln. But yeah, I think they sort of stunned Benfica with that goal, didn't they? And Mohamed Mahebi, what a great player. It's his first start for Santa Clara, having signed in the summer. In his last three games, Albert, for Santa Clara, he's got just 83 minutes in total, but has contributed with two goals and assists. It's, it's brilliant. And um, I hope you see a bit more of him. I like the fact that he's got that physical presence. I think, you know, Santa Clara was in a great bit of form. So for me, this was a, a, a really good game for Verissimo as a, as a manager because... They did have to go in half time, not really looking in the game at all, obviously being that goal down. And the fact that, you know, his substitution has changed the game. Um, Tarab came on and was uh, fantastic, really sparked something in that team. And Juremchuk as well, actually get, getting on. You know, those were both smart substitutions, in my opinion, and and, and really worked for them. So, yeah, this was a good game for Rizmo. Yeah, and I think, you know, I was obviously having a bit of fun when I described this as a game that, exactly the sort of game that Benfica might have lost a few weeks ago. But I think that's actually a fair point. You know, we saw them we saw them lose to Gil Vicente at home and, and that was a game when they looked really kind of frightened almost of playing in front of their own fans. And I think it's important to see them now playing uh, with a little bit of weight off their shoulders, exactly what we said last week against Tondela. And I think, you know, perhaps a few weeks ago, they don't get this result. They aren't uh, perhaps psychologically capable of dealing with that setback of going 1-0 behind maybe... There's too many players who would get a bit scared in that situation, but they were able to overcome Santa Clara. And obviously it was Darwin Nunes, Barney, who got the goals that made the difference. I think it's nice to see him playing with a smile in his face again. You know, 18 goals in 18 games this season. Five goals in his last four games for Benfica. I think that's a fantastic return. There were those that doubted his ability. There were those that branded him a flop at the end of the last season. I think you can debate whatever you like about the level that Darwin may or may not reach once he leaves Benfica. But I think the one thing that's not really up for debate is his ability to be a real ruthless striker in this division. I think, you know, comparing him to last season, we're seeing a boy become a man, aren't we? Mm. Uh, like, quite, quite simply, I think he has come on leaps and bounds. And, he, and you know, he's, he, he came away from international degree. He's come back and maintained his scoring form. <laughs> I've just read my notes for Tarabs. Well, I feel like it's too uh, full on. I wrote, um, he's one of the most underrated and disrespected players in this Benfica team. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's too strong. 
<laughs> but I tell you what, Barney, I'm not going to disagree with you. Do you want to know why? I've got a fantastic, meaningless statistic about Adele's rats, but I'm going to bring it up anyway because the listeners know we love bigging them up. Benfica, by the way, Barney, scored 2.8 goals every 90 minutes that Tarabd is on the field. And that is despite the fact that he didn't even play when Benfica beat B-Sad 7-0. So clearly the guy is having an impact. He clearly deserves a start. Maybe even given the captain's armband. Do you know what? It's probably due a new contract and a, and, a, and a bit more money, I reckon. The guy's clearly contributing. I think, look, let's, let's fight. He's, I don't think it will start, but I think what we will see is now we've had the transfer window, we've seen a few players move out of that Benfica team. He's going to be really, a really important sub when it comes to uh, changing games and, and when they're looking for something. I think he is going to be an important player in that aspect. I think what I alluded to now about the fact that I think we'll, we'll see the same 11. We've seen a few games now from Benfica. Paolo Bernardo's probably the most interesting one for me in that midfield because I know Goncalo Ramos has got a few opportunities but I feel like Bernardo's the one youngster we're seeing given a prime role in a key position and I don't know how to feel because I, I I like that he's been given the opportunity but he hasn't been lighting it up but is that the point you know this is a young player we don't we need to let him develop we need to give him let him make mistakes if you see what I mean or do you think that we we should have seen a bit more from him you know he's 20 years old do so you think we should have seen a, a few more good performances from him well, perhaps, you know, I think you illustrate a good point. Perhaps that's the issue that Benfica have had with young players for a long time, you know. Perhaps they expect every youth player who comes into the first team to be Israel Felix, you know, to just come in and, and suddenly be the best player on the pitch. But we know that that's not how the vast majority of young players uh, progress. They don't all make that kind of instant impact. I think Gonzalo Ramos is a good person to compare him to because he's one who was so prolific uh, for the youth teams and really struggled to, uh, to make an impact straight away for the senior team, but he's growing and learning all the time that he plays with the senior team. So I think if uh, Bernardo follows the same trajectory, you know, but hopefully by the end of the season, we'll be seeing kind of more consistent and rounded performances. But I think it's always, people are so quick to judge young players. And mm. like I said, not everyone can be Ralph Felix. Not everyone can just adapt so quickly. I think some young players are different. They need more help. They need more time to adapt. Because let's face it, the, the gap between... Uh, under 23s football and men's football is a lot bigger than a lot of people uh, a lot of people realise. Well, look, let's talk about another game, Barney, and let's talk about one scoreline that really stood out for in this week's fixtures. That was, of course, Family Cal 5, Mororens nil. It's a scoreline that I really wouldn't have predicted, Barney. I don't know about you, because whilst I know that Mororens are not the toughest of opponents these days, what they have shown to me recently, especially under Sarpinto, is that they can at least handle themselves you know, and, and be competitive in games and with Family Cal only a place or two above them in the league I, I was expecting this to be a much much tighter contest than what it turned out to be I have to say I think one of the biggest reasons for that disparity in class and, and the display that we saw from Family Cal uh, was one of their new signings Gerard Teixeira I mean this is a man that many Premier League fans will be familiar with you know he's had spells with Porto, Braga and Vitoria obviously he came through the youth ranks at Sporting uh, he showed a real glimpse of what he could do uh, against Sporting last week despite Famalicao losing that game and he really, really shone uh, in his second game starting at home. He scored a goal, he got two assists, he completed three dribbles, he had four successful take-ons. You know, he really showed that he is a player that has so much quality and could really help Famalicao in their fight to get up the table. Real quality, Albert. I think he just stood out immediately, I think. It's such a good bit of business for Famalicao and I, 
I think I tweeted about it during the game, you know, they are very active in transfer windows. You know, a lot of players have come in, but like they did last season in the January transfer window, you know, all these players came in, but they hit the ground running. They they affected the team. They improved them straight away, which is exactly what they family cow need at the moment. Um, you know, Aston Cow returning as well. I, I include in one of those signings, you know, that it, that midfield of him and Pepe just looks so much better. You know, Pickle's been good, but in terms of how they, I think Austin Cow offers a lot in in sort of protecting that back line of Family Cow. But yeah, Josh, I say good to go back to him. Sorry, Albert. I think seeing him play in this game, I think it was the touch, Albert. I think the way he can control the ball and and, and move of it forward, making defenders step back, and and just wonderful to see. One thing that I, I will say is that I'm sure a lot of our listeners have have watched more of Teixeira play over his career than we have. I'm sure there's probably a valid reason why he's not quite made it. Obviously, he didn't make it at Liverpool. There's no shame in that, by the way. Very few people do. But then he wasn't kept on by Porto. He's only spent brief spells at Braga and Vittoria. So, obviously, we've seen the quality that he's got. Whether he can can sustain that uh, over a whole season or half a season is yet to be seen. But if he can come up with those kind of performances on a few more occasions, Family Cow will be getting over the line in a lot more games than they were in the first half of the season. Another player who interested me in this game was Simon Banza, because um, mm. I feel like he's been ages since he scored. But then when you look at his numbers, you know, 12 goals and 21 games, three assists, he's, he's still been decent, right? But this game, which was so surprising, as you mentioned, is the reason Family Cow scoring that many goals. I mean, the statistic came out afterwards, 25% of the goals that Family have, have scored this season have been against Marens. <laughs> so like, <laughs> you know, they, they, they scored, they've scored two in their last five. So this was a, a real surprise. And I think they seem to be, in the, in the forward position particularly, they seem to be relying only on Simon Banzer to score. I know they brought in Cadiz from um, Benfica and, and there's a, a few more strikers on their books, but... If they can get a few more goals from midfield, I think that's that's really going to help them. Well, you're right to point out Banzer, Barney. It was it was six ga- six games since he last scored a goal. The thing that I like about him is that he tends to score three goals in a game and then go four games without scoring. So you know <laughs> he's obviously got great numbers for the season, but he's not like he scores every game. He just tends to score all his goals in one go and then move on. I did like the fact that all five goals were scored by different players. Uh, you have Pedro Rodriguez with the opening penalty. Adrian Marin, the, the defender, scored a good goal to share, as we mentioned. Uh, Simon Banzer, as you mentioned as well. And then new signing, Ivan Dolcek as well. Who I think you told me, Barney, it was a, it was a goal with pretty much his first touch in a family cow shirt. I've got a great uh, quote from Star Pinto about what he thought uh, oh, this on. game offers. He just said this, if something like this happens again, I probably won't continue. <laughs> I can't work out what he means. Does he mean if they play as badly as that again, he'll get sacked? Or if he watches another boring game, he just won't be a manager anymore? I think I think if something like, happens, something like this happens again, it'll be out the door, it'll be gone. Like perhaps, perhaps he just felt like, you know, his, his message wasn't getting across to his players. He didn't organise them <laughs> like that. I mean, to be fair to them, like if you look at the stats, which I know doesn't tell the whole story, but they still had their fair share of chances. You know, it, it wasn't like they were... Um, I mean, they were completely out of the game, but they, you know they weren't. It wasn't like it wasn't like a. a it wasn't a humiliation. Yeah, I think the the goal in quality wasn't. Maybe just trying to say it was a bad day at the office for them, but yeah, certainly not the result I would have anticipated for this game. Absolutely, yeah. and, and to stop Pino's credit, I think they have been improvements under him as a manager. You know, like I said, they're not exactly been well beaten. They are where they are in the table. They're right down near the bottom, but um, as I mentioned at the beginning, I think they have at least been a lot more competitive. 
uh, in the Premier League since Salpinto has joined. Um, let's do another game, Barney. I'm really looking forward to talking about this game. I'm sure you know why already. Uh, I want to talk about Braga 2, Passos de Ferreira 1, uh, a game that really turned into a battle of who can score the best free kick. Um, and Tunis went first for Passos. He got a lovely low-driven free kick, which he managed to somehow curl around the wall and into the bottom corner of Braga's net before Ricardo Forta responded with a free kick that will live long in the memory. And this one, we spoke about Sporting's goal against Porto as being a candidate for goal of the season. Well, I think this one has to be on the shortlist as well. He belted that free kick into the top right corner. Uh, and of course, it was Horta again, Barney, that followed up with the second goal and completed Braga's hat-trick. And I think we've surely had this conversation on the podcast before, but we have to acknowledge Ricardo Horta now as one of the best footballers in the division. Yeah, he's been he's been fantastic. And in a faltering Braga team who can be great when we can bat the next, he's been a constant, hasn't he, at being a, a really good player at 27 years old. Albert, I think, do you know who I think should buy him? I know he's a great player for Braga. He, he could easily feasibly say, see out his career that he's, he's been a great servant for them, but he'd be a great signing for Benfica, wouldn't he? Perhaps not a signing that they would be interested in making, but like, you know, like I said, because of his age, but he's so good and and, and he, he makes goals, he, he gets goals and he just so regularly delivers. I mean, I think it is quite interesting to perhaps compare him to his younger brother, Andre Horta, who got, who got this, <laughs> this red card. Because like, you know, that guy's two years younger and I cannot see him being anywhere near as good as Ricardo in two years, I think. He's just been suspended for uh, swearing at the referee, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I think with Ricardo Horta, it's just an interesting thing about what he does with his career. That, yeah, that obviously that amazing offer from America financially, but obviously wouldn't deliver in terms of his aspirations and uh, in footballing achievements, perhaps. So, you know, uh, be interesting to see what ha- happens with him. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting you mentioned Benfica's possible destination. You know, the club that I thought of the big three, to me, by the sporting, I think he just offers something different as a right-footed, left-sided player. I think that's something that sporting don't have. We know they like to play with the front three. Uh, and I think whoever's playing on that left-hand side is often a little bit makeshift these days. They've got plenty of right-sided attacking talent Pedro Gonçalves was playing there last year. Now we've got Sarabia and Marcus Edwards. I think he would uh, offer something different there. But it's all just speculation anyway. I think, you know, I think the key thing for me, Barney, is that I don't think that this guy is being recognised enough for his talents. And sadly, I do think that's because he doesn't play for a big free club or perhaps, you know, a bigger club in Europe. The fact is, he's only got one international cap. And, and to me, I find that really, really sad. I know Portugal are blessed with wonderful attacking options but surely there must have been more opportunities for him to play in the national team and I do think that perhaps if he played for a more prestigious club then uh, Fernando Santos would maybe give him a little bit more recognition as you say but he's only 27 years old he's already given a lot to Braga over the years so there's still time for him to kind of make a step up and and, and start a new chapter uh, while he's in his prime you bringing up uh, Andre Horta made me laugh Barney because a few weeks ago um Tom Kunda was very kind to give us a little shout out on Twitter, but by doing so, he compared us to the Horta brothers. And I just met, I had to think for a second, wait, which one am I? <laughs> because you're the older one. So Barney's Ricardo Horta, you know, the guy who should be playing for Portugal, one of the best players in the league, quartered by the best clubs in Europe. And I ended up being Andre Horta, the guy who just got suspended for swearing at the ref on his way off. I think to be fair, Barney, if anyone's more likely to get 
uh, sent off for giving the referee a bit of stick is probably me, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Can I talk about Antunas for a bit? Please do, please do. Him to pass us to Ferrer has been one of my favourite transfers because we're just seeing so much more of him than if he had stayed at Sporting. And I, like, he's just such a good player. I think in this game, wasn't he playing almost as a third centre back too? They sort of tweet the formation to, to sort of try and counter Braga, but uh, I just think he's such a good player. And he is getting on, isn't he, in his age? But I think, you know, to decide to make that move to pass to the Ferrer and just. I always feel like he's a fighter, like a warrior in games. And I think he's, um, obviously his free kicks are such a treat. Yeah, I just think he's a hell of a good player. And I think it's the point I was trying to make is that I think that move was a really good move for both both parties. You know, he's getting his playtime. He's showing what he can do. He's probably really enjoying himself as well. And and Pastor DeFerro are getting a real uh, great person to sort of be a captain in that team, basically. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he went went to Sporting last year because he was never going to be a starter, was he? He was always going to help off the bench and he didn't really make much impact. So I was really pleased to see him make the move to a club where he was going to have to be a leader. He was going to be one of the best players at that club. He was definitely going to be one of the players with the most glamorous history. You know, he's played abroad, he's played at some big clubs, he's um, played in a few different countries. So it's nice to see that he's kind of taken on that role quite well. As you say, he's not going to be influential in every game that he plays at his age. He's not going to be bombing down the wing, but he does a damn good job, you know. And as you say, anyone with those kind of free kicks in their locker, what an asset to have because he's got pass us a goal out of nowhere in this game and that's so valuable. Obviously, in this game, it didn't earn them any points, but in other games, that could be the difference between a point or three points, you know. Sort of sticking on passes of Ferrer for a little bit. I think because they're, they're obviously a stack here left uh, this window. Uh, they lost a few fringe players as well. So... You know, there's, there's a few more opportunities coming to that team. One player that I, I'm really excited and I'm hoping to see more of is uh, the young uh, Portuguese winger, Machoy Jiao, uh, who uh, got a start in this game. I don't think, I can't, to my memory, I don't think he started the game for Passes of Ferrer this season. But he's a player that I, I'm really excited by. I think he's just 17, 18, perhaps. Um, and I think he looked quite good for them. And then finally, I have Andre Ferreira, the goalkeeper. I know a lot of people are talking about him. Zach Larry. Mm on Twitter did a fantastic thread about him um, uh, talking about the, his him outperforming his um, expected XG uh, conceded. And the only keeper, by the way, is to be beating him and that is Samuel Portugal, who we're, we're mm-hmm. both big fans of. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you your opinion on him because we're seeing a lot of fantastic saves from him, like great saves. But I remember when we were watching him play against Tottenham in, in the summer, I just felt like... I did not see this in it. I thought it was, the distribution was poor. It didn't really make a save. Quite obvious to me that one of the players on the performing in that Passos team in that particular game. But to see the way he's come on this season is, is incredible. I totally agree with that. Like you, I did not see this coming uh, at all. But it's been a real turnaround and credit to him. The one thing I'll say is that to me, it's not a surprise that we have so many good goalkeepers uh, playing at such a high level from teams outside the big three in, in this league because it happened last season as well. I think we saw a number of great goalkeepers who were putting up really good numbers in terms of statistics and really great performances. The ones that come to mind are obviously Kritschuk, uh, Matthias Passanato, who actually inversely has not had quite as good a season as he did last year. Uh, I remember Dennis as well was a, was a real favourite of mine. So for me, you know, there's always been keepers in this league, uh, up and down the league, who... Uh, have been have been great keeps and credit to him because you know I did not see this coming like you and he's uh, he's done very well. Well, I think that's me and Barney just about out of time. 
for this week. We can't go in depth on any more games, but we did just want to point out a few more key results from the weekend. Obviously, Gil Vicente and Estoril both won at the weekend. Those are two teams fighting for Europe, and that's a valuable three points, especially Barney, as Vittorio Di Gimaraes lost to B-Sad. Every time B-Sad pick up points, uh, I cry a little bit inside. Yeah. I'm just waiting for that team to die, but they will not go quietly. Um, but no, very valuable points for Gilbert Sensei and very valuable points for Estoril as well, who haven't won in a little while. Yeah, I think that was a that was good to see. And I think a, a player I highlighted as being an interesting transfer, Jordi Mbula, the Spanish winger, the replacement for Chiquinho. He had a he had a good game in that uh, that match. So uh, I would recommend keeping an eye on him as well. Also recommend keeping an eye on uh, Ricardo Cresma, uh, popping up as a, <laughs> a, a medic. And... <laughs> I can't believe we've been recording for over an hour and it's taken us this long to get to Ricardo Cresma. If you haven't seen what happened, get over to our Twitter page. We shared it. Ricardo Cresma, outrageous. He's obviously sick of Souza, the uh, B-side attacking midfielder, time-wasting on the four-flame injury. He goes up, Barney, and picks him up like a baby and carries him off the pitch. It's absolutely astounding. The funniest bit of that video, Barney, for me, is just when, for a split second, Charisma puts his arm around Sousa's shoulder, and Sousa looks up and thinks, oh, wow, my hero is about to help me get up from, from, the, from the floor. But little does he know he's got a little bit more in mind than that outrageous but incredibly funny video. Anyone who's not seen it, go and check it out. Can I just say, I can, I'm completely with Charisma because, you know, Sousa's on the floor <laughs> running around. <laughs> and then as soon as he gets picked up, he just stands up and, he, he, you know, nothing's nothing's going on. So yeah. in that situation, I think the referee should, you know, book the player for simulation, you know. And 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 if the player is injured and, and Christmas causing more injury, <laughs> obviously Christmas should get punished as well. But like, <laughs> you know, that, that should be one of the little rules they added. <laughs> From the comments we were getting, Barney, I think most people uh, were on your side. And just quickly, Barney, I do want to mention a couple of more results. Uh, Portman ends drawing with Bo Vista. Not necessarily interesting result on paper, uh, but of course, it was really interesting to see Ricardo Matos score on his debut. That was the young player that we picked out as an interesting transfer as he was signed from Liga Tres side, Olyanens. Uh, he got a goal in his debut. And then, of course, Barney last night, Maritimo beating Aruca 3-0. It's another fantastic result for Vasco Sierra's men. And the thing I liked about this result, Barney, was they raced into a 2-0 lead playing that football we know they can play. But then things change. They get a player sent off. Aruca applied a pressure. And they have to do it the ugly way. You know, they have to grind out the result. They have to sit back. They have to defend. And they catch another goal on the counter-attack. Ali Alipour, uh, another Iranian player doing well in the league this week. That's Mediterranean, Alipour and Mahabi all scoring in the league. Uh, I wonder when the last time three Iranians all scored in the uh, Primera Liga in a single game. That's an interesting fact. But yeah, another great result for Siabrisman. A convincing win as well. I, I know Ruka. They're on a, a really bad run of form. That's, that's another loss for them. They could be. They're looking like in real trouble. But um, a, a great performance from Rito. and with Bovista. But I think that's their sixth draw in seven games. Uh, I think yeah. uh, betting on Bovista to draw one one is a, a good <laughs> bet for any, <laughs> if you want a little tip for me. Well, Brian, um, it brings me on nicely to this weekend's fixtures because one game that I wouldn't bet on Bovista drawing one one is the game that they will be playing on Friday night against Benfica. I think if they draw that game 1-1, they would have done very well. I know what people are going to be saying. They're going to be saying Petit is out to get his old club some points. He's going to be fielding a weaker team to make sure Benfica win. But do you know what? I think Bovista have grown a lot under Petit. And in all seriousness, I think that will be another tough game for Marissimo's side. Uh, obviously, we're hoping that you'll all be paying great attention to the European football this week. So those 
uh, game recommendations go without saying. But if you want some game recommendations from uh, the Primera Liga this week, that looks like a cracking fixture. And of course, on Sunday, you've got games such as Sporting versus Estoril. Estoril, of course, well documented what a great team they've been this season. It'll be fascinating to see uh, how they do against Sporting. That's at 6pm uh, on Sunday night. Barney, what have you got? Uh, my two would be uh, the game before the Sporting Astral game on Sunday at 3.30, Mauricio Family Cal. I think that Very would nice. be a, a lovely little game. Um, but I think my, my tip would be Monday night, uh, Santa Clara Portimonense. I think that could Ooh. be a nice little game. Very interesting. Very interesting game. Well, that is us out of time for this week. We're going to leave it there. Uh, we just want to say thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, uh, you can leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts or you could leave us star rating on the Spotify app. If you want to contact the show, you can find us on Twitter uh, at LongBallFootball. We know there's been plenty of opinions bandied about this week. So if you've got something you want to say to us, good or bad, whether you agree or disagree, do not hesitate uh, to get in contact and go and give us a follow on Twitter if you don't already. But that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening once again and we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week.